The Velvet Hammer, an inside look at trial lawyer life with Karen Kohler. Real life stories about fighting the good fight. It's the time of year when normally I would be at a convention, trailer convention, AAJ, WSAJ, or a different state trailer convention. I have spoke at most states' trailer conventions in the country, I believe, at this point. Um, some of them many times. I think I've been to Wyoming four or five times, uh, for example, to speak for their TLA. Uh, but I thought I'd tell you about some of the stories that I've had in my travels and experiences, just a few of them that come to mind of missing conventions this year. I have not signed up to do a convention by Zoom. I, I, I just do too much Zoom already and I don't need any credits and I'm just going to skip it this year. But uh, in no particular order, I'm going to take you through some of my adventures in conventioning. Uh, not the conventions mainly, but little experiences from the conventions. When I was, uh, oh gosh, um, my kids were much younger. They were living with me, but they were home. Um, and I was in New Orleans for a not a convention, but one of the trial colleges, some things where I was being a speaker. And um, I was staying at the Hilton, which is on the riverfront in downtown uh, New Orleans, and had checked in, uh, was in bed, and thought I'd give the kids a call. Two hours ahead of time, so gave the kids a call, had them on the phone, and all of a sudden I saw something running across the floor. Okay, I was in a hotel room and I realized that that was not anything that it should be. Um, so I started screaming and I said, I got to go. There's something in the room that looks like an animal. And I threw the phone down <laughs> and uh, got on top of the bed, standing up on top of the bed. And I was wearing I can, the same thing I always wear to go to bed, which is like a camisole and a little pair of underwear. And I'm Standing on top of the bed, I call down to the desk and pretty screaming, there's a mouse in my room because it ran, it ran again. I could see it. It clearly was a mouse. It was running around the floor from one to the other. I was standing on top of the bedroom, uh, the bed in the bedroom, uh, uh, screaming, yelling at the uh, attendant to come save me. So they said, okay, um, are you packed? I said, no. I'm not stepping off this bed. They said, well, we'll help you. And so they got a porter up there and the porter came in. He packed everything up while I was still on the bed. And then um, I ran out of there. He marched me down the hall to a new room. I followed him in my underwear. I didn't care. I wanted out of there so bad. I just marched down the hall in my underwear following the porter until he got to another room. And yeah. But that wasn't my only adventures with a mouse. In fact, almost a decade later, I was in uh, Nashville for a brain injury seminar that I was speaking at. 
And I was, I thought, oh, I want to stay at, no, I love historic hotels. I'm going to stay at Union Station in NOLA. And uh, Noel, was it Noel who was with me? Yeah, Noel uh, lived there at the time. So she picked me up and and we went to this hotel and I thought, oh, it's going to be a treat because she was going to school there and she could stay with me. That's why another reason why I like to speak over in Nashville because she she used to go to school there. So we checked into this really cool hotel, super old, old restored hotel. The room was big. It wasn't it wasn't you know luxurious, but it was very nicely done. And um, our plane had been delayed. We got in, everything was closed, so we ran to the grocery store, which was a, a gas station, and grabbed whatever we could, which happened to be some white white popcorn white cheddar popcorn and some I don't know it was like a bag of popcorn and a bag of chips and something to drink that was our gonna be our dinner um so we had gotten there unpacked and we were uh, just starting to relax and all of a sudden yes a mouse came running out and grabbed one of Noelle's pieces of popcorn that she dropped on the floor and then ran <laughs> ran to the other end of the room and <laughs> we uh, you know, when, when that happens, you think that I just see something cause it went so fast and no, it, it came back for another piece of popcorn. And again, we started screaming, we called, uh, we called them, we got on the bed, we started screaming, we called them and they, uh, came and took us to another room. Um, that was the end of, not the end of that adventure because that hotel was so poorly run that, um, later that night, not late for us cause we were already up probably one o'clock their time. The fire alarm went off. Everybody had to evacuate. We were all outside, um, false alarm. Uh, and then the other thing was they, they appeared to have no valets. So you would park your car, you would wait. And then we just, just all of us, all of the people waiting just decided to go find, you know, break into the, the key box. And we all grabbed our keys and, uh, to get our cars, went searching for our cars anyway. They sent us a gift certificate uh, for a free hotel stay and we never used it because we did not ever want to go back there again. Okay, enough of the mouse stories. Um, I have been sick before when I have gone to go speak. Uh, I don't get sick that much, but I hate to say that. But on this one occasion, and it was around... Gosh, I was still in my 40s, maybe 15 years ago or so. I was going to go speak in Atlanta, and I had already promised, and I came down with pneumonia. I didn't realize I had pneumonia for probably a couple weeks until someone said, are you sure you don't have pneumonia? And I went and had a chest x-ray done, and sure enough, it was pneumonia. The biggest feature of which was um, fatigue, which is an odd feeling and a cough. Um, but I didn't want to let them down. I didn't know how to say no, so I got on an airplane, and I went to Atlanta, and I put on a speech, completely sick, and then I flew back home. I don't, nowadays, I think I would cancel and realize that they can find another lawyer to speak at a minute's notice because lawyers want to speak. It's an honor and a privilege, and lawyers want to speak. Another time I was speaking for the, was it national crime victims or one of the police, um, police, uh, bar associations, p- 
police excessive force. And it was at this beautiful law school near Koreatown in Los Angeles. The law school was an art deco building. And I just can remember how beautiful the frescoes were on top of the ceiling. They put me in this hotel in Koreatown downtown, which I thought was cool. Like, oh, cool. I'm in Koreatown. Uh, so I got in there late at night, late at night. It was probably 10 or 11. I don't like flying during the day. It seems a waste of time to me. I always try to take night flights. So I, I had fl flown, flown late after the workday, got in late to Koreatown. I got to the hotel and it was a revamped old 1950s structure that looked like it was concrete-ish, but they had made it very mod um, in a stark uh uh, 50s kind of way, mid-century kind of way. I go into the main lobby and it's completely black because, uh, and filled with bodies because they're having, they have a, they have a club. It's a club. So people are in front of me waiting to check their coats. I have a suitcase. I'm trying to check into this hotel and it's a club. <laughs> so I finally check in, I go up to my room and it's concrete. The bed is on the floor practically. Everything is plastic or concrete. Uh, the even the sink, like it was down at my knee level. It was I was all just so odd, uh, modern and very cool. If you were eighteen years old, well, it had floor to ceiling windows, and it, the ceiling floor to ceiling windows were right over the club. I tried everything to drown out that, that club because it went on until four o'clock in the morning. I tried, I downloaded a white noise app. I tried to stick my headphones on. I tried to put the pillow over my face. I did everything in the world I could to try to get some sleep. I never slept. And, uh, that's one of the consequences of trying to come in the day of, or the day before a speaking engagement is, you have a 50-50 chance of not sleeping. Uh, yeah. So uh, that was the disco at Koreatown. One of the last uh, speaking engagements I did uh, was in Arkansas at their Trial Lawyers Association. Super cool. The fun thing about a lot of the smaller bar associations are how cool and nice all of the lawyers are. Um, some of them don't have hardly any women uh, and I'm often the only female, um, certainly female minority person on any panel, even if it's a matter of day days. Um, but it was a really super cool group. However, it was at the end of the Ozarks, which sounds romantic, but in fact is, um, is it a best Western? It must be a best Western, but in the worst possible way. It is a, it was, it was the hotel. When I walked into that thing again late at night, it smelled so bad. I never took my clothes off. I lied on top of the bed on top of a towel. Um, there was also like a Harley convention next door. So all the Harley bikers who were very nice, um, they were all there uh, next to me because, you know, you just park outside of my room. So they were all lined up parked outside of my room. And that was... Uh, the the ours the end of the Ozarks. One of the really most fun conventions I went at in terms of, and it was certainly the best 
opening I've ever experienced was in, I think it was in Connecticut. Um, and the gentleman who had invited me, uh, who was president of their TLA, uh, was introducing me and he did it by singing. He sang and played the harmonica. He was a very talented musician. And he, uh, introduced me with, by singing about me. It was just like one of the most special moments. I can't even tell you how cool that was. He'd obviously come up with the lyrics and practice them. And it was just so, uh, amazing. Well, then there's, you know, I have never not made a convention, which is pretty stunning when I think about it. Um, especially how close I've sometimes cut things, but I almost, this is a story of one that I should have missed. I should have missed it and just turned around and went back home. Again, this was in Green Bay, uh, Wisconsin. So it was a Wisconsin Trial Lawyers Association, small bar, wonderful people. And a lot of bars like to have their conventions in little resort towns. So you have to fly in and then drive to them. Well, this one was a drive uh, once you got to Wisconsin. The problem was getting to Wisconsin. So I flew out and we were supposed to uh, catch the next plane in Chicago and then go to Wisconsin. Well, I got to Chicago and all of the planes, everything was canceled for the night because there were storms. So my flight had come in on time. They said, Everything's canceled because of the storms. I started to hyperventilate in my throat and then quickly thought, how far away am I? And, and, uh, thought I'm going to drive. So I ran to the rental counter, which is good because by the time I got there, they were almost sold out completely of cars. If I had hesitated at all, those cars would have been gone. So as I was standing in line waiting to get a rental car, not trying to figure out like, I'm going to drive all night long to get to Wisconsin. I'm standing in line and I hear this crying behind me and I turn around and there's a, a younger woman and she's crying. And I say, what, what's going, you know, are you okay? And she said, I'm supposed to be in a wedding and it's not going to, I'm not going to be able to make it because everyone was told, right. That the pl planes were all going to have to, they're going to have to spend the night and uh, fly out the next day. So she was just distraught and crying. I said, well, hey, <laughs> this, is, this is where my kids would say I drive them nuts. I said this to a total stranger. I said, I'm getting a rental car and um, I'm going to drive uh, to this resort in Wisconsin. Where are you going? She said, well, I'm going to Green Bay. I said, I think let's look, is it on the way? And so we looked to see if it was on the way and it was on the way or we thought it was. And I said, look, you can just come with me and I'll drop you off in green Bay. She said, are you sure? I said, Oh, absolutely. So I, so like I told you, I got about the last rental car that there was. And with a total stranger, um, we got in that car and we started the trek. And at one point I can remember we had to make a pit stop for something. And as I was in the restroom, I thought, you know, I don't know her at all. I just left my suitcase, all my stuff in the car to run to the restroom 
and she has the keys and she's in the car. She could just take off. But of course she didn't. We just talked and had a wonderful time. We kept each other awake. We never, of course, slept. And we got to Green Bay. I dropped her off. I wished her well. She thanked me. I, we never exchanged phone numbers. We never exchanged anything. And then I got back in the car and drove for another two hours. I arrived at this little mountain resort in Wisconsin. I got into the room. There was a basket for me. It was so sweet. I looked out the window at this beautiful, idyllic view. I threw some water on my face, changed my outfit, gave a speech, came back, and then turned around and went back to the airport because I had to catch my flight home. (laughs) So when people think how glamorous it is to travel a lot for conventions and to speak, uh, all you have to do is look at my trial, uh, my my trial, my travel uh, misadventures. My former partner, Pat LaPlay, used to come to a lot of conventions with me. He used to say he would never, he never wanted to ever be on the same airplane I was because they always got delayed. And I used to tell him that wasn't fair until one time we were in Atlanta, a different convention than the pneumonia convention. And we came, we were coming home together, got to the airport and thunderstorms hit in July, mind you, thunderstorms hit. We we thought we kept being told that we could just wait them out. The hours kept passing. Then they died down. Then it looked like the thunderstorms were over. They said, okay, um, we finally are going to be able to take off. And then they realized that even though we hadn't been in the air, the pilots were now clocked out. The pilots could not fly this flight. Their mandatory hour period was over. So they needed to bring in a fresh crew and they couldn't do that. So they handed out vouchers and Pat, I told Pat to go to the hotel and try to grab some sleep which he really did for about three hours. I slept in the airport on the bench with a divider over the middle of it. So it was a hump in my back. And that is the last time Pat has ever flown with me. Finally, you might think about, well, how do you plan some of these when you are a trial attorney? And that's a very good question. You know, trial attorneys, um, are at the mercy of the courts and trials are set and we have to be ready to go, but then they don't go. Um, they rarely go on time. It's a rare day when they go on time. It's a rare and blessed day when they go on time. Uh, the courts have other things to think about than trial schedules and uh, our own problems of having witnesses lined up, our poor staff that has to juggle everything. But in this one trial, we were uh, I didn't, I, I was double set. I was supposed to speak several times at an AAJ conference in Maui. Uh, and I thought this trial would be done or it would be over or it wouldn't have ever happened. I just double set them. You have to double set. If you never set your life and only set your trial calendar, you never will have a life. You have to double set because trial dates are so fluid. Um, But every once in a while, you're going to get burned. So that's what happened. So I went to the judge, who at the time was Stephen Gonzalez. This was a case called Maislin. It was a a big case. Um, 
multi-million dollar case. And I said, uh, Judge Gonzalez, I previously had committed to doing these speaking engagements. Um, <laughs> I have a ticket. I have an airplane. Uh, is there any way that we can take an, a day off uh, for trial so I can try to go? And he said, yes. So he gave us a Monday off. So this is what happened. I flew to Maui, which is a five and a half hour flight. I arrived at night. I woke up. I gave my speech. I can remember taking a jog. Um, it was one jog. I got one jog um, up and down the road in Maui, the beachfront. Uh, I think I did one evening's event, and then the next morning I had to come back. Yeah. <sighs> I miss those days. <laughs> Now we're doing virtual Zoom uh, seminars. They're not the same. Being in person is wonderful. Uh, being privileged to be able to go speak to people all over the country is is really wonderful. I've I can't even tell you how many places I've spoke at because uh, I don't keep track of them, other than in my heart. And everything from the cute little. Uh, get-togethers in Jackson, Wyoming, or all the other places in Wyoming, or Big Sky in Montana, for example, uh, to giant seminar rooms, um, Ohio, where I did uh, Ohio. That's one of the first places I went to where they actually had to have an overflow room because it could only fit so many hundreds of people in the one main room, and then the rest of them had to fit somewhere else. There's about 700 lawyers, and I thought that was large, until I did CALA and CALA, C-A-A-L-A, -A um, they meet every year in Vegas. They had thousands of people in the audience. It's the biggest conference I've ever seen. Um, very impressive and fun. So I miss it. I hope everybody that is attending a conference this year by Zoom has a nice relaxing time. And if you um, get the opportunity in the future to hop on a plane or drive a car, or go somewhere to be in person with your comrade trial lawyers, I encourage you to do so because I hope that our CLE gatherings and all of our social gatherings don't go by the wayside just because technology makes it possible for us to stay at home and do the same thing. It's just not the same. Mice and all. Over and out.